like a way, saying, a way out of nowhere, even when we don't see it, he's working behind the scenes. Hallelujah. So we should give him the praise. your hands together and bless the Lord for he's holy he's righteous hallelujah and we give him the praise he's awesome hallelujah and we just bless his holy name today hallelujah put your hands together again and, put them together. and let's bless the Lord in this place this is a little testimony song. 
Hallelujah. Let's raise the roof in here with our praise and our worship today. For certainly he is worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's been good. How many has he been good to today? Hallelujah. Down throughout our lives. Hallelujah. He's been good.
opportunity to give at this time, you would have that opportunity as we go through our praise and our worship. It is a form of worship to give. Hallelujah. You could take this time to give in your tithe and your offering unto the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 As we go through worship, there's no form or fashion. Just come from wherever you are. Hallelujah. To give unto the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 We just bless the Lord today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless your name, O oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know it was. I know it was. I know it was. I know it was. The blood. <laughs> Said I know it was the blood. What day we and I was lost. He died on the cross. Said I know it was the blood. How many know that it was the blood? Me. Hallelujah. That was shed for each and every one of us. Hallelujah. Can we say it? Said I know
This morning, hallelujah. Father God, we thank you for this, your gifts, Lord God, in the form of your tithes and your offerings that was brought unto you this day today, Lord God. Father, we ask that you would bless those that had to give, Lord God, and those that didn't, that they may be able to give upon the next appointed time. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God, we thank you for these gifts in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Put your hands together and let's bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, for it was the blood, hallelujah, hallelujah, that saved and covered us, hallelujah, and we bless his holy name, hallelujah, for that, hallelujah. As our pastor comes, we ask that you would stand to your feet, hallelujah, and greet our pastor, Bishop Roy J. Lysad, hallelujah, greet him as he comes, hallelujah, with a hearty amen, and a hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. There we go. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, thank you for that, Paul. Showing some enthusiasm. Yes, sir. I'm missing my two other cheerleaders. Just let their mama know I asked about them. Hallelujah. So I'm expecting it's probably going to be quiet in here today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We, we thank the Lord for each and every one of you. It's good to see Sister Rosie in the house. Hallelujah. Let's celebrate her. We thank God for her. Amen. We thank God for the guests that she brought with her, and we're excited about what God is doing here in the house. We are looking forward to what is still next to come. Amen. We serve a God who cannot what? He cannot fail and he cannot lie. Hallelujah. So everything that he has said will come to pass. There is no doubt in my mind that it will come to pass because that's the kind of God that we serve. Man oftentimes will tell you one thing and do something else. Man is very good at getting you to believe something that's not true and not believe something that is. But that's not the kind of God that we serve. That's right, 
We serve a God that will only tell you like it is. Now, you may not always like it, but he will tell you like it is. Amen? Hallelujah. Sometimes I've, I've shared with people in counseling, be careful what you ask for God, because if you're not ready for the answer, hallelujah. See, we just want God to tell us what we want him to tell us. But that's not the way God operates. He just tells you what is true because he is truth. We've been talking from the topic, well, let me, let me just welcome those that are, have tuned in, especially our West Coast campus in California. We thank the Lord for each of them who have been faithful in ministering and praying and even spreading the word of this work uh, in that state, and we are believing God by faith that one day soon I will make that journey, and we will sow some roots in that land, amen? And those that are on the East Coast campus, we thank the Lord for them who have also joined with us, and we're excited about what God is doing. Now, we have the north and the south of the U.S. of A. wide open, hallelujah. So just be praying that the Lord helps us to establish campuses in the north and the south of this uh, great nation. Amen? But we thank the Lord for them and those that have tuned in from around the world. We have, uh, just so you know, we have a very good following. Um, You know, I may not always be able to get the local assembly together in the house, but we have followers online that tune in around the world, amen, constantly, and I'm excited about that. Hallelujah. So we've been, we've been talking from the, the topic, because of I am, yes, sir. I can. And understanding who I am is helps you to understand what I can, can be for you. And we've been talking about how God ha- has shared his identity with us in scripture, how he has poured himself out uh, as best he can with a creation that struggles to comprehend the greatness and the awesomeness of God. We say often that God is wonderful, God is mighty, God is great, God is all these, you know, great, you know, fabulous names that we give him to identify his character and his love and his truth and all these things, yet we are not even scratching the surface of who he is. God tries to communicate with us as best he can at our current level of understanding. Now, a day is coming where you will know even as you are known, but that ain't today. Well, it could be any second. I don't know. You just might see some folk disappear. If you see them disappear, you're in trouble. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You'll get that at midnight. But we've been talking from this topic of understanding who God is, and God has been revealing himself to us through the names that he has given himself throughout Scripture. And we've been talking about, uh, uh, in the last couple weeks, the Elohim and the Yehovah of God. If Elohim is God's creative and powerful name, then Yehovah is God's personal name. It's the self-revealing name that God gave Moses when Moses asked, what is your name or who shall I say sent me? And God declared, I am who I am. When we study the name Elohim, uh, we study the God who is the creator and we can talk about his power, his presence, and his prowess. 
But when we talk about Yehovah, we're talking about his person or his character. We're getting a more intimate glimpse into who God is. You see, Elohim is the side of God who created the heavens and the earth. Yehovah is the side of God that relates to his creation in a personal and intimate way. You see, you can believe in Elohim without ever knowing Yehovah. In fact, plenty of people believe in God, Elohim, the creator, the powerful one, but they don't know the God in whom they believe, Yehovah. They don't have a real, true, personal relationship with him. Yehovah is the God who personally reveals himself to us, often through the trials and the struggles that we face. The things that you go through in life are the very things that God allows so that you can understand him better and you can understand your vital importance to him. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor you are important to God. God did not send his son to die for animals, but he did send his son to die for you. That should tell you something very uh, significant about God, that God cares about you so much. You are so vitally important to God that he sacrificed even himself that you might be in right standing with him. Now, one of the very first characteristics that we discover about Jehovah, the personal relationship with God, is that he is a person. As he declares, I am who I am, he is the I am. And this is significant because it lets us know that we don't live in an impersonal universe as an evolutionist would have you to believe. You see, God is not just the force. He's not a mystical power. He's not an energy source that's floating around in space. But evolutionists would have you to believe this. God wants you to think when you hear his name that he is personally connected to you. Now, you may hear in movies, may the force be with you, but God wants you to understand that he is a living and very personal God who has emotions, has an intellect, and has a will. Yet because he is also I am who I am, he is also a self-existing being. He doesn't just exist, but rather exists in himself. In other words, nothing outside of him contributed or contributes to his existence. All of us, now I want you to understand this because this kind of puts things in the right perspective. All of us exist because we were created. All of us in here, nobody just popped into, into being. You, didn't, you weren't beamed here, amen. You, you all came through the birthing canal. All of us exist because we were created. There were cells that got together that put you together. We were preceded by a mother and a father. We are because they were. You are because they were. I am because they were. I am not because I am. And you are not because you are. You see, if there was no them, there would be no you. 
You see, if Cynthia Marshall didn't exist, Jocelyn could not exist. Not that Jocelyn, because that Jocelyn came from that Cynthia. Amen? And we can say this about everybody in this place. None of us exists in and of ourselves. Our existence depends not only on our parents, but it is also dependent upon other external things which cause us or allow us to live, that cause us or allow us to breathe, that cause us or allow us to function. Each of us is alive right now because oxygen constantly contributes to your existence. If you take away the oxygen, none of you would survive. You see, we can exist because things are being provided for us. Things that we all need to eat, to drink, and to breathe. The very things, the core things that cause us to take breath in this world, to exist in this world, to function in this world. And if you remove any of these external things, some things will have a more quicker effect on your existence than others. If I take oxygen away, you might be able to survive for minutes. If I take food away, you might be able to survive for a month or so. If I take water away, you may be able to survive for a few days. But there will come a point in time when your existence will cease unless this external thing is reprovided to you to allow you to live. But when God formally introduces himself to his people, humanity, he tells Moses in essence this. Tell them that the one who sent you doesn't have to go outside of himself to be himself. He is complete in himself. This is what is declared in I am who I am. In other words, God is the only true independent being in the universe because he is the only being who is self-generating. I want you to consider the sun. Neither you nor I have to fire it up. We don't have to reheat it. We don't have to refuel it. We don't have to go to uh, strike a match to get it started. And this is because in its very construction, God maintains it. God has given us a small glimpse into what self-generation looks like through his creation. In creation, God is giving us glimpses into who and what he is. Now, the example isn't entirely accurate, of course, because the sun could not have created itself and will not last forever. Every sun, science has taught us, will eventually burn out. Now, Jehovah's self-existence includes his self-sufficiency. And this reminds us that he is the great and eternal one. And you have to remember this as you're dealing with of chaos in life, when you're dealing with having a personal relationship with the one who requires nothing for his own existence, it puts into perspective the things that you require because God created even those things as he created you so that you could be sustained. He wants you to understand that he will always sustain you. You ought to get excited about that. 
You see, he is self-generating. He perpetuates himself throughout all of eternity. Now, you and I uh, aren't eternal on earth because we are dependent, but Jehovah is independent. So he needs only himself to exist in the dimension where he lives. He needs only himself to exist in the dimension where he is everlasting. The Bible declares that he is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Before him was none, after him shall be none. All that is exists because of him, but he does not exist because of all of them. You have to understand also that he is immutable. That means that he never changes. Now we are forever changing. We get older, our hair is graying, we get wrinkles, our skin is sagging, our memories aren't always what they used to be, but God doesn't go through that process of life. He is who he was, and he is also who he will be because the great I am never steps out of present tense. In other words, God is always right now. We have a past, we have a present, we have a future. God does not have a past. He does not have a future. He only has right now. He is always right now. God can be in your past, in your present, and in your future at the same time because the entirety of your existence exists in the present tense in God. He is always right now. God can never become irrelevant because he is always current. A billion years from now, God will still be just as relevant as he was on the day that he created all things because all things created depend on him. You can't get much more relevant than that. Without God, there is nothing else. Now, you look at those that don't believe in God, yet they follow the calendar, and the calendar is a constant reminder of the existence of God. And more importantly, the change in time at the introduction of Jesus. Now, I know that this concept can be quite challenging to comprehend simply because of our linear and very finite minds uh, can only understand what it means to go from one year to the next year to the next year. We go from here to there, yet God goes from here to there and back again all at the same time. He exists as the great I am who I am. Another aspect of God's self-revelation is that he isn't necessarily who we want him to be. He is who he is, not who you or I want him or choose him or define him to be. So if you're going to know who God is, you'll have to just let God define himself simply because he is not I am who you say I am. He is Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, I am who I am. We always want to make God something, but God says, I am what I am. You can't make God anything. He's not dependent upon you. His truth does not depend on your belief. You see, some people have a truth that's dependent upon the amount of people that believe it. 
And if not enough people believe it, then it ceases to be true. That's why the world will tell you everybody can have their own truth. The problem is, if everyone has a truth that differs from everybody else, then whose truth is really true? We water down the, the definition of what is true when we give everybody the ability to determine what is true. But God does not need you to determine it. Morpheus in the movie Matrix made a very powerful statement when uh, his commander said to him, we or many of us don't believe like you believe. And Morpheus's response was, my belief does not nor is it dependent upon what you believe. God is not dependent upon your belief to make him God. He is God outside of your belief. You might as well believe him because he's true, but if you don't believe him, that's on you. Now, one of the more challenging concepts that uh, students or uh, uh, theologians of the Bible sometimes run into is the seemingly contradictory nature of a changing yet changeless God. Just a few moments ago, I told you that God is immutable. In other words, he does not change. We read in Malachi 3 and 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. We read again in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, questions arise. If God doesn't change, how can he change his mind as he did with Jonah and Nineveh, read Jonah 3 and 10, or as he did with Moses and the Israelites, read Exodus 32 and 14. Well, the best way that I can explain what happens when the changeless God seems to change his mind is to look at the verse in James 1 and 17 that declares every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Now, as we look and examine this verse, we know through the revelation of Scripture that God is the creator of the lights above, the creator of the stars and the sun and the moon. The stars in our solar system uh, is the sun, which gives it, gets its source from the Father of light. The sun stays hot. It never needs to be heated back up. Over a thousand years, it is never dimmed, yet despite it's changelessness, a shifting shadow is associated with the sun. We call that shadow nighttime. So when nighttime occurs, darkness will cover half of the earth. As the other half of the earth experiences the light of the sun, the other half that is turned away from the sun experiences what we call the shadow of light or the night. As James wrote, there is no shadow shifting shadow with the father of light. Yet you and I deal with shadows in our lives every day. We experience darkness even though the sun hasn't changed because as the earth turns away from the sun, we enter into a shadowy place. The sun is consistent. It's constant. It is regular. But the shadow comes because we move away. Jehovah is the great immutable unchanging 
unchangeable God. He is who he is, and he continues to be who he is throughout all of eternity. Yet sometimes we experience what we consider to be a change in his mind because as we turn, our distance from God casts spiritual shadows. He hasn't changed, but our experience of him has just adjusted to our turn. You ought to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, stop turning into the darkness. You see, the Bible tells us that God repented of destroying Nineveh because the people stopped turning away from him and turned back to him. He also repented of destroying the Israelites because Moses turned toward him, appealing to the intimacy of their connection and relationship and voicing a plea based on God's character on behalf of the people that he was given command to be shepherd of. When we adjust to or highlight God's character and God's way, light comes where there once was darkness simply because we're turning back toward him. Some of us are dealing with darkness in our life not because God has changed or God has shifted but because you have shifted yourself out of place where you are under the full covering of God's light. So when God doesn't seem to make sense, God will often allow us to be in a situation without no possible solution. I think many of us in here can testify that at least at one time in their life, you've been in some type of situation that seemed impossible to handle or impossible to get out of. Now, God allows these things so that we can discover that he and he alone is our solution. While some of us are depending on the court, God wants you to know you can depend on him. While some of us are depending on the doctors, God wants you to know you can depend on him. While some of us are dependent upon the financial institutions in the land, God wants you to know that you can depend on him. See, oftentimes in life, you get to a place that we call rock bottom. And I'm not talking about the rock dropping an elbow on another wrestler's head. But God will allow you to get to rock bottom in order for you to learn that he is the rock the bottom. He'll put us between a rock and a hard place, a, a situation that seems confusing, incongruent, and chaotic, and he will often do this when he's getting ready to reveal something new about himself to us, just as he did with Moses. You see, God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. Moses was out shepherding his flock, kicking rocks along the mountainside, looking at some of the bushes he'd seen for decades when suddenly something didn't make sense. He saw a bush that was on fire, 
and yet it was not being burned up. Because this, uh, uh, he, he had to go investigate. He had to go take a, a closer look at what was transpiring. And because he went to investigate, he got to know God and his will in a way like none other. Perhaps something in your life doesn't quite make sense. Maybe it even seems like it's a contradiction. It could be a conflict that you're facing, a decision that you have to make, a health or financial issue, a rocky marriage, a wayward child, a court-involved crisis, any number of things. But whatever it is, I want to encourage you today, based upon the name of Jehovah, who is the self-revealing one, to be careful not to simply look at the bush that is burning. Don't get so mesmerized by the contradiction itself that you miss the God that exists in it who wants to talk to you through the contradiction that you face. You see, when Abraham was told to go up to the mountain and sacrifice his son Isaac, he could have gotten stuck by just staring at the problem. You see, sacrificing the promised child of his own inheritance and legacy would make no sense to the common man. Yet in the middle of that seemingly nonsensical situation, Abraham decided that he would obey God. He looked beyond the problem and unto God. God who revealed himself to him. Jehovah showed up and gave Abraham a ram to sacrifice instead because God wanted Abraham to understand I am the one that will provide the sacrifice that will get you through this thing. You see, when God wants to show you a side of himself that you've never seen before, he usually does it in the middle of a mess, uh, in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a circumstance, in the middle of a burning bush. But you can't only look at the bush because Jehovah is using that situation to reveal something about himself to you. Uh, there's many people in here right now that are, have been staring at a fire that's been burning in their life and they've been trying to figure out which way to go, what to do. They've been encouraged to trust God but sometimes life gets the better of you and you begin to doubt not just God but you doubt whether or not you're going to make it through this time but God wants you to understand you don't have to doubt. You don't have to tremble. You don't have to fear because I am God, the self-existent one who is not dependent upon anything or anyone and I love you so much. I'm going to reveal the greatness of my power in the middle of the greatest trial of your life that you might know I am greater than everything that comes against you. you Got to stop looking at the bush. Because you miss the fire that really burns inside. You see, God didn't reveal himself to Moses until Moses turned aside. In other words, Moses stopped what he's doing. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, don't just do it. You need to stop. You see, Moses stopped what he was doing and turned to see what was going on. 
You see, sometimes in the business of life, the tyranny of the tedious task that goes on day in and day out, we fail to turn aside and just stop. But the Bible declares, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But if you don't stop and stand still, you fail to take notice when God is trying to get your attention. Had Moses failed to turn aside, he would have missed hearing from God about his supernatural plan for his life, a plan that Moses could have never come up with on his own, nor would it have made any sense for a wanted man to go back into the town where he is wanted by the highest of authorities. In fact, when Moses heard it, he became afraid. He started making excuses about why he couldn't do what God had said. He put himself down and he reminded God that he doesn't even speak well, let alone speak to Pharaoh. To this, Jehovah, the personal one, replied, who has made man's mouth or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It is it. Uh, not I, the Lord Jehovah, Exodus 4 and 11. When you look at the word Lord as described or as detailed from the original text, it, is it not I, the Lord, is the word Jehovah. He doesn't use the word Adonai. He doesn't use the word Elohim. But he uses the word Jehovah because he wants you to understand that in your weakness, I will make you strong. You see, Jehovah is God interacting with his creation in a whole nother way, at a whole nother level. God made Moses and Moses' mouth. And now he is interacting with Moses about the use of his mouth. He is directing and commanding and exercising authority over that which he created because he is not only Elohim, the great and powerful creator, but he is also Jehovah, the Lord and master and self-existent one. You see, in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3, we see God as Elohim creating his creation. And in Genesis 2 and 4, God introduces a new name, Jehovah, and begins interacting with creation in a whole new way. He becomes personally involved with the well-being and the purpose of his creation through his plan, his will, and interaction. And just as we saw Jehovah interacting with Moses and his calling in Exodus 3, we see him interacting with mankind and his creation in Genesis Genesis 2, the Lord Jehovah God formed man, planted a garden, caused the garden to grow, took the man and put him into the garden, commanded the man, formed every beast and brought them to the man, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh, fashioned it into a, womb, a woman, uh, the rib that he had taken out. You see, our understanding of who God said 
says he is and how he reveals himself is vitally critical to your uh, success in your current life. It is the application of the knowledge of God in a relational way to your existence in a world where you are dependent upon something but you don't know what it is. Consider what happens when the truth about his character gets twisted or lost altogether. In Genesis 3 and 1, Satan approaches Eve in the form of a snake. Now even here we see God's revelation of himself as the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord, which is Jehovah Elohim, had made. Because of this craftiness, Satan sought to deceive Eve by subtly changing God's name. So when he spoke to Eve, we read, and he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Genesis 3 and 1. Now, in removing the name Lord, Jehovah, from before God, Satan pulls a sales trick on Eve. You see, he sought to deceive her by hiding God's relational nature and thus the relational impact of the deed that he's trying to get her to commit. In other words, he caused her in this statement to not see God on a relational level and how what he was asking her to do would break the relational connection. What he wanted her to see was God as something distant and simply disconnected and if he's disconnected then it doesn't matter what you may do and this is the trick the enemy keeps trying to pull on each and every one of us now with the name Lord Jehovah still in question Satan would be reminding Eve through his own words about God's position as absolute master over both Adam and Eve Yet he didn't use Jehovah. And even when Eve replied, she neglected to call God by the name that had been used to make himself known. This is what the Bible says. Genesis 3, 2 through 3. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. Now watch this. God has said... You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. You see, Satan's goal was to get Eve and subsequently Adam to drop the name Jehovah from their association with God. He didn't mind if they called him Elohim, the great and powerful creator. Such a God could be so distant in a way, so way far out there, that it doesn't matter because we're disconnected. But when Jehovah is brought into the conversation, God ceases to be distant and becomes up close and personal. God is a personal interactive being who made and purposed and designed and intimately knows both Adam and Eve because he created them. 
Now, Satan was okay with Eve acknowledging God. He just didn't want her to have a personal relationship under Jehovah's authority. You see, the devil doesn't care if you come to church. He doesn't want you to have a personal relationship with God. The devil doesn't care even if you pray when there's doubt filled in your prayer because you really feel like you're just saying words that have no impact or meaning. What he's afraid of is if you ever get to the place where you begin to cry Abba Father you understand that he's not just a God that has power but he's my daddy and when I go to my daddy and I need something all I've got to do is look to the hills from whence cometh my help because my help cometh from the Lord she doesn't mind you having a bit of religion he doesn't care if you come here to meet the creator or if you talk on your job about the creator, as long as you don't bring into the conversation your personal relationship. Because the moment we bring in Jehovah, the, 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 the Jehovah becomes personal. The Elohim becomes personal. The Adonai becomes personal. God with whom we are in relationship with. And not just any kind of relationship, but an intimate relationship. That means that I am I am so connected to God that you can't tell God from me and me from God. When you see me, you see him. This is what Jesus wanted you to understand. He said, how long have I been with you? Have you not known that when you see me, you see the Father? You've got to get to the place where you declare to the enemy, don't you know when you see me, you see Jesus? You see, it's easier to twist things or take things out and add other things in as Eve did, adding that they weren't even supposed to touch the fruit of the tree because that's not what God declared. You see, when we talk about an impersonal being off in the distance, it's very easy to shift things. It's much more difficult when this Jehovah, this personal God, is right there with us, intimately connected to us, intimately caring about us, intimately guiding us, and carrying the authority as the master of our lives. Saints, let me close with this. You need to get to know Jehovah. So how do we get to know God as Jehovah? Well, Exodus 33 gives you a good idea. It declares whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As Moses went about the work of ministry, Jehovah spoke to him. In the midst of a relating to, uh, of a relational God, Moses asked to see God. He said in verse 18, I pray you, show me your glory. Jehovah, the personal and relational God, would give this reply. He said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show 
compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. So Moses had come to face to face with Jehovah God and he wanted to know more about this God. He asked to see more and God allowed him to experience all that he was able to experience because Jehovah is the close and personal character of the living God. But do you know why so many of us don't know Jehovah and don't experience him personally in our daily lives? Because we're too busy and too distracted to ask for more. When I want to know my wife better, I don't ask her about herself. I spend more time with her. I refuse to be distracted when I'm trying to get an understanding. Because when I am distracted, I cannot know everything there is that needs to be known. You see, we are too busy and too distracted to ask for more. You see, Moses could have been satisfied with the burning bush. Most of us would have testified of the burning bush experience to the day we died. He could have been satisfied with the 10 miracles of the plagues that, were, that God used him to cause Egypt to endure. He could have been satisfied with just the parting of the Red Sea. Yet despite everything that Moses had already experienced of God and with God, he asked for more. You see, too many of us stop at the bush. We're satisfied with just an introduction. Yet as we see from our study of this relational attribute of God, as revealed through his name, Jehovah, God will come as intimately close to us as possible if we ask him and seek him as Moses did. You see, Moses took the time to be in the presence of Jehovah and to say to him, Lord, I want to know you more. Show me more of you. I believe if Moses were alive today, that would mean He sometimes turned off his television and his radio. I believe that he would stop texting and phoning his friends so much. He would stop looking at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. He would stop Snapchatting and TikToking with everybody to see what everyone else was doing. He would spend far less time at the do-it-yourself shop or shopping in the mall. He would remove the static from the line and quiet the noise that's around him, which would clear away the distraction so that in the tent of the Lord, he could ask for 
more. You see, many believers today say they want to know God, but when you take a closer look at their schedule, you realize they're just making noise. If a guy really wants to get to know a girl, he makes time to talk to the girl. Let me give you ladies something for free. If a man tells you he wants to get to know you, but he never calls, he never writes, he never texts, he never stops by, he never takes you out, then all he's done is clutter the air with lies. He doesn't want to get to know you unless he's willingly willing to invest the time necessary to get to know you. If a guy really wants to get to know a girl, he'll find the time. He'll make the time. He'll stay up late or get up early. He'll do whatever needs to be done so that he can get to know her. I remember that I would go to sleep on the phone with my wife when I was just trying to get to know her. We would talk until the midnight hour, fall asleep talking. We'd wake up still with the phone in our hand and we'd be asking, are you awake yet? Because we just wanted to get to know each other, that we would sacrifice even sleep to get to know one another. You see, Jehovah knows when we're just spouting words. He knows when we truly intend to get to know him. Moses dedicated the time and effort because he made the request. So God gave Moses something no other human on the planet has ever experienced. The personal manifest presence of God's glory. Covered by God's own hand and tucked away in the cleft of a rock. Moses uh, saw God's back pass by. In today's technology, this might be compared to the exhaust you see when an airplane passes by overhead. You don't see the plane, but you see evidence of it. You see what happened to Moses after he experienced Jehovah in that intimate way is remarkable. And it should, be mo- it should become a motive for each of us to seek God and to make a close relationship with Jehovah, the primary focus of our life. After that encounter, Moses picked up a pen and a piece of paper and began writing. Maybe it was a rock and a hammer and chisel, but anyway, it was written, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he kept writing and kept writing until the history of the beginning of time had been completed you cannot be in the presence of God and not come away with something and even though Moses wrote Genesis he wasn't alive when Genesis happened so how did he know the details in such intricate detail of the events that were so far removed from him. He knew because God let him see and experience Jehovah. He let Moses see some stuff that had never been seen before so that Moses could write some information that he didn't have any cognitive knowledge about. GMFC, God wants to reveal to you things you've never dreamed of. He wants you to experience his vision and his plan 
plan for you. But that won't come about if you just know him as Elohim. If you only know his power without his relationship, that will only come about when you get to know him in a relational way. Yehovah, Yahweh, the Lord God, he is the self-revealing God. In everything that you go through in life, God will use it to reveal more of himself to you. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. It doesn't matter what man says they have the authority to do. I don't care what, what, what happens. Right now, the president of the United States made an edict and he passed that edict out that affected all these corporations. And I'm not, I'm not here to promote it or to dissuade any from, anyone from it, but I want to show you a principle. You see, he, he's the president. He's the man with ultimate authority in the land that we call the U.S. of A. And there were some folks that didn't like the edict that he made. They didn't like his executive order. So what they did is they got together and they went to another authority. You see, our government is divided by branches and the branches balance things out so that not one branch becomes dictator overall. So they went to the judicial branch and in the judicial branch, the, judi the judicial uh, judges got together and they made a stay against the executive order. In other words, they have made of none effect what the president has identified is necessary. They stopped it. Saints, I'm here to tell you, when you're in a personal relationship with God and the authority comes against you to tell you what it's going to do or what it's going to make you do, you have the power because you're in right standing with God to be in relational connection, to go into the throne room of God, into the judiciary and ask God for help and he will put a stay. He'll stop. Because every authority is subject to the authority of God. That means that every authority is subject to you. If you truly be dead in Christ and he truly be alive in you. The Bible declares every authority, every power, every principality, every name, every legacy, every lineage, everything that is anything is beneath his feet. Amen. That means it's beneath yours. It's beneath yours. So when your flesh, that other thing that's making war in you with what you know to be true, tries to break your confidence, I'm not here to tell you you won't have, you won't have some nights when you cry. I'm not here to tell you that everything's going to be hunky-dory when you're going through trials and tribulations in your life especially when those things
You, you, you might be strong enough to deal with stuff that has to do with you. But sometimes you're not as strong as you think you are when you're dealing with stuff that is affecting the people in your life that you love the most. You don't mind if you suffer a little bit. But when you see the one whom you poured your love into suffer, when you see something happening in their, in their life and you begin to struggle and you begin to fight with yourself, you, you, you seem like you don't lost your mind. You can be found in the mirror talking to yourself. And your one self is asking you, where's God? But your other self is saying, God is right here because I'm in personal relationship with him. Because of Jesus, I'm in right standing. I wasn't worthy, but God made me worthy. It might be my fault, but God forgave me. God delivered me. God healed me. God blessed me. He raised me up above mine enemies. He place them under my feet and all I can do is praise them. Because he is Jehovah, the relational one, the one that wants to get to know you better and wants you to get to know him better. Saints, your whole life experience can change in an instant if you just allow yourself to get to know God. Truly get to know him. I'm not talking about practicing religion. I'm not talking about dotting I's and crossing T's. I'm not talking about being perfect in the things that you do. I'm talking about getting to know God in a personal way. Because God loves you with your flaws. God loves you with your doubt. God loves you with your fear. God wants to remove those things from you by sharing with you more of who he is, but he cannot share with you if you're not there. He cannot talk to you if you won't listen. God stands at the door knocking. He's asking Come in. May I come into your life? May I sup with you? May I share my love with you? May I embrace you in a way that you've never been embraced before? Unfortunately, too many of us have responded to God and said, not today, Lord. I got some stuff to do today. Not today, Lord. Come back tomorrow. I have some time for you tomorrow. Today, I want to experience some stuff. Today, I want to go some places. Today, I want to eat some stuff. I want to do some stuff. I want to say some stuff. I want to feel some stuff. And because God loves you so much, he says, okay, I'm coming back tomorrow. But then he tells you, Tomorrow's not promised to any one of us. Saints, 
Stop putting off having a personal relationship with God so that God can reveal his glory to you in the way that he revealed it to Moses. Do you know that when Moses came out of the mountain after being in the presence of God, what happened? He came down, and because he was in the presence of God, the very glory of God was upon him in such a way that they had to cover him with a veil because the people could not stand to look at him. When you get into the face of God and you really start to get into a real, genuine relationship with God, don't you know there are going to be people that won't be able to stand to look at you because they won't see you. All they will see is the glory of the Lord because you cannot be in the presence of God and not be affected. You cannot be in the presence of God and not be changed. You cannot be in the presence of God and not have his power released in your life. You cannot be in the presence of God and not experience something for which you would have no other the way to experience. You cannot be in the presence of God and come away knowing something that you should not even know. How do I fix it? How do I make things right in my life? Get into the presence of God and know him as Jehovah. The one that wants to have a personal relationship with you. God wants to know you. He wants to know you. Not a surface you. He wants to know everything there is to know about you. And he wants to tell you everything that there is about him. He doesn't want there to be lack of connection between the two of you. He wants to finish your sentences. He wants you to finish his. He wants you to know him in such a way that you can be elevated and walk in this life and that when trouble comes because you are so connected to him that you know it doesn't matter. What I'm going through right now doesn't matter because God has got me. God, God is dealing with this. I may not understand. I may not have this whole thing figured out, but I trust the one that does. I trust the one that's already been to the victory party for the tribulation I'm going through right now. I trust the one because I'm in personal relationship with him. Because he loved me before I could love him. Because when I was unlovable, he loved me anyway. When I was hard-headed, he loved me anyway. When I was a deceiver, he loved me anyway. When I was a whoremonger, he loved me anyway. When I was a liar, he loved me anyway. When I was despondent, he loved me. When I was depressed, he loved me. When I wanted to kill myself, he loved me. He loved me when I was loveless, when I was angry, 
when I hated, he loved me. And he always said, I just want to know you better. So that I can deal with all that stuff. I've already worked all that out for you. All you got to do is get to know me. Just let me in. Just let me in. Let me into your life. Let me into your life. I don't want to just come into the living room. I don't want to just stand at the doorway. I don't want to just have a room. I want to be the house. Hallelujah. This is the relationship that you can have with him because he is Yehovah, the relational one. I encourage you, come back next week. Tune back in next week. And we're going to talk about God, Adonai. We're going to reveal to you some things about Adonai, some things that God wants you to understand about Adonai that will give you an even greater understanding of the presence of God in your life and why the enemy fears you knowing God like he does. Hallelujah. Let's just celebrate the Lord.